Welcome. 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 Hey, Colin. Hey, man. How's it going? <laughs> oh, hey, hey, boys. How are how you doing, boys? How, how you I'm, guys doing today? I'm doing okay. Hey, you know, it's been a good week. It's, it's been, been a good week. It's been we watched one of my favorite movies. <laughs> but before we talk <laughs> about that, we are yelling at the screen. I'm your host, Jack. I'm Colin. And I'm Caleb. <laughs> and today, we're going to cover some movies. But, of course, we have to talk about the one movie topic that has... or the Not movie topic. Movie we have to topic. talk about the topic completely unrelated to movies we always talk about. That's right. It's Apex Talk. Caleb, take it away. Apex Talk <laughs> yes. with the Yats crew. <laughs> so, guys, we all know that all of Respawn Entertainment, from the from the lowly interns to the content creators and the game devs, they're they're all avid listeners of our podcast. Oh right? yeah, they're, they're dude. some of our biggest fans, and because they've been listening to us, they just loved our last discussion about how we casted the legends, and they were really curious if the Yats crew were to design, like, say, season seven. Apex Legend. This legend's coming in game. What legend would it be? How how would you design them? That is that is what we're talking about today. What did y'all come up with? In the official email that Respawn Entertainment sent, <laughs> yelling at the screen, you know, uh, it was very specific in what it wanted. You know, it wanted backstory. It wanted abilities, <laughs> tactical, passive, and ultimate. Uh, and a little bit of that design quality here. Now, I'm no professional artist, but I think that we did uh, a pretty good job, if I say so myself. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, we don't, we don't even know what we've brought yet, Colin, so why don't you start us off? Tell us a little yeah, bit about your champion you thought Are of. you sure you want me to go first? I don't know that you do. I, I, I don't do really have a preference. I trust you guys. Are you sure? Dude, mine's, I trust mine's really good. Like, I'm very, right. very proud of it. Let's go. Do it. Okay. First of all, did you know that Octane has a brother? <gasps> Whoa! Oh, what? Oh, no. That's wow. pretty cool. It's like Jackie Chan in Rush Hour 3 all over again. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that his champion name is Pow? Pow? Pow. P O W. Pow. Like the LCD nice. sound system song. Pow. Now, here's the thing about Pow, okay? So, Pow, kind of like Octane, you know, he's got a couple of, uh, he's got a couple of, uh, prosthetics, you know? Got a couple of prosthetics, except his prosthetics are on his arms, right? He's got bionic robot arms, okay? Now, with these bionic robot arms that he accidentally blew off because, you know, Pow, get ready, we're going with this explosion theme, right? <laughs> Part of his passive, right, is with these bionic arms. They let him throw grenades farther. Oh, dang! Mm. Oh, and they Colin. also have storage pouches for extra grenades, so he carries two stacks of grenades instead of just the one, right? Ooh. Okay, okay. Now, this extra grenade storage is very, very important for his sure. tactical ability, right? Ah. So get ready. His tactical ability is a proximity mine that he crafts right there in front of everybody and wow. he puts it in front of places. So here's the way proximity mines work. Now, this kit is a little bit overloaded. I'll admit it. It's a loaded kit. There's a lot of text you got to read. Okay? <laughs> 
he makes a proximity mine, and based on what type of grenade he uses, that's the effect that it's going to have, okay? So if he makes it out of a frag grenade, right, it's going to do, like, big-ish damage. When I say big, I mean, like, 15. We're not trying to make him OP or nothing here, right? Like, 15 damage and briefly slows. It's kind of like getting hit with, a like, a single use of a Gibraltar ultimate, right? Yeah, So it's, sure. like, one of those. So it's, like, very brief good-ish damage, but, like, the slow is the main thing you want there. He makes it out of a thermite grenade. It does burn damage over a long period of time for, like, 10 total damage, but that's not the important part. The important part is the fact that it marks the target, so it puts this bright light on them, so it's essentially highlighting them, like, with a with the 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 the, the the digital threat site for like five right. for like three seconds or something makes them easier to see, you know. And then the arc star does medium damage. It does like you know ten damage, but it fries their screen. It's like walking through a uh, Watson barrier. It like your their screen for a second, so they can't see anything. Dang, this anyway. character sounds OP. <laughs> yeah, it's, like I said, it's a little bit OP. We gotta we might have to dial it back a little bit now. His ultimate, okay. This is where this is what makes or breaks good pow players from uh, other, you know, bad pow players. Okay? <laughs> pow pow. His ultimate consumes all grenades in your inventory, okay. All grenades in your inventory, and he lobs it like a grenade, but like he makes his arm into this little launcher. It's like. <laughs> And he puts them all in, and he shoots it out. And for every grenade in your inventory, it does a set amount of damage in, like, one big explosion. And it's explosion on impact. So it's like, as soon as it hits, it explodes. So you've got to, like, hit that shot if you're trying to wipe out a squad or something. Now, that would be really OP since a single grenade already does, like, 60 if it's full impact, right? We'd oh, have no, to you balance can, you it. You could do like 80, 100 if you really hit it yeah. well. You could, in theory, like down somebody if they didn't have any shields. So, sure. But it's like a really slow wind-up. It, like, it, it takes skill. It takes a lot right. of skill. And you also need grenades. Like You have to actually get the grenades. Exactly. Now, get ready. Because I gave him this loaded kit for one reason. He can only carry one gun. Oh, interesting. Man, Colin really breaking the game here. Dang. Wow. Yeah. So, like, he's very reliant on his on finding grenades. Like, that is. Because you wouldn't a, need as much yeah. ammo space. That's smart. Yeah. Exactly. Colin. He's kind of that is really fascinating. That way. Yeah. Can only carry one gun. Does he do anything with the thermites or no? What do you mean? Like, he, he can collect, like, frag grenades. Mm-hmm. He can collect arcs. Like, what is. Is it different with the thermite? Yeah, like his proximity, it, when he blows up a, with a thermite, it marks him, makes him okay. easier to see. And it but does like, that the too. ultimate is just all grenades. It doesn't matter what kind. It does a set amount of damage per grenade stack. Okay. Now, get ready for this ultimate backstory, right? So Octane and him, you know, they're brothers. They grew up. They were fighting. Octane's all super energetic. Well, guess what? Pow's even more energetic, but he's got that little crazy, like, he's got one one screw loose, you know, because he, like, blows stuff up. That's his whole thing, right? <laughs> Always that one So guy. he's, like, yeah. <laughs> Octane, but, like, 
of the next level where he's like jumping around and crazy and like, oh, we gotta go in, we gotta go in, we gotta blow stuff up, you know, with a better accent, obviously. But get ready, get ready. You know how Octane and, and Lifeline are, are pals or friends, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. buddy buddies. Pow, Octane's brother, has a whopping major big time crush on Wraith. Nice. <laughs> And it is not reciprocated. Oh, no. <laughs> I love that. Awkward. Anyway, that's my idea for the next Apex Legends ch- ch- champion. That is a solid That's, that's pretty solid good. Design. There's some ideas. There, there's some, like, risk you're taking there with the champ. For sure. So. Oh, yeah. High risk, okay. high reward type stuff. Yeah. Man. Interesting. That's definitely interesting, like, thinking about how, how that would, you know, play out with the other Legends. I'm curious. I really want to play with that kind of legend in the game because you know before they like change the stack size of nades because people would just spam them and right. not really take a fight so i'm curious how that would change the meta of gameplay oh yeah you might have to adjust i don't know there would be a few things that you have to tweak somehow right Maybe his grenades do like if he just throws a grenade it does less damage or something Maybe he modifies it. I don't know. Yeah. There there are a few things that the game <clears throat> the game would have to evolve uh, sure. with yeah. POW because he is a next-level 4D chess, big-brain-style yeah. champion. So as far as design goes, I, I only got as far as the, the bionic arms, but... <laughs> I mean, I didn't even think of the physical design that much, so you are much yeah, I, I didn't ahead really of the game either, than I am. Know. Like I said, it just came to me last night. The name and the backstory was like, bam! That's awesome. And then literally like 20 minutes ago, I was like, wait a minute. And the kit just put itself together, man. It was... Respawn, just hit me up. Hit, hit, hit us up. up. Hit, <laughs> That's your mirage right there. Hit him up. I'll, I'll <laughs> hit the reply button. I'll send you my idea. Y'all can pay me later. Actually, you know what you can pay me in? You can pay me in a sponsorship for this podcast. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. So for my champ, I was thinking about um, the right side of King's Canyon, the swamp section, and how it doesn't always get Ooh. enough love. Okay. So I thought of a champion. I'm excited. Her origin is she grew up in the swamp. She grew up with the swamp people, the swamp creatures, the salamanders, the gators, the slugs, all the grime and grossness. The swamp, you know, very Shrek vibes. So <laughs> my champ, my champ, her name is Slug Girl, and Slug Girl's powers abilities is that she... um has a tactical where she pulls out a salamander that shoots a big blob of green slime, and it creates a block that you can hop up for platforming players. Ooh. That's pretty interesting. Okay. Slug Girl's ultimate is she's, you know, in the swamp. She has leeches, so she throws a leech bomb. So it's kind of like Lifeline's drone. Anyone who gets hit in the leech bomb, she gets their health, steals their health. Oh, wow. oh, okay. That's a cool idea. I Dude, like that. That's busted, though. That is, it is busted. Oh, yeah, it's already. Bad. But, but it only like, heals her. Like it doesn't heal anyone else. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't heal her shield. Colin's <laughs> okay. like, whoa, 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 busted. You might have to do it like a like a temporary shield, like not a permanent heal, but like a temporary, yeah. almost like, like revenant or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Busted mm. makes me feel good. I do like where where this is going. Uh, I'm. 
I'm sold on this this backstory, this this, this design. It's, it's that would be really cool looking. And, and now her and passive is because she's one with the swamp, and she's got that swamp spread. What she does actually erase that. I don't like how I just said what? that word. Never mind. Ignore this. She has the ability. Whenever she uh, slides, she leaves a trail of swamp behind her that Ooh. other players can speed. Her teammates can speed up in. Colin just lost. Does it <laughs> slow down opponents? Oh, no. Cool. Uh, doesn't slow down opponents. It just speeds up her teammates. Oh man. Can opponents like take take advantage of that too? Like, can they like slide down it quickly? Mm-hmm. They yeah, that, to, that's probably what to. needs to happen yeah. since the other yeah. champs have abilities like that. Now, is it a permanent thing or does it? It fade goes away. away. It's kind of like a Bloodhound's passive. It goes away okay. after like sixty nice. seconds. I really dig this. This is a neat idea. Yeah, so that's Slug Girl. That's that's what I got. <laughs> Let's talk about the mechanics and how perfect they are in Apex. That you slide faster in mud, and you slide slower when you hit water. Oh, so sexy. <laughs> That is, yeah, that's a good touch. That's a good touch. That's pretty cool. Way to think of that mechanic, Jack. Way to include that in your yeah. design. Well, yeah, because there's no champs that really have like any passes or anything that you slide. And I thought, you know, right. that's part of the fun of the game. So I could see people. Sure, dude, it's a major part of the game. It's like a huge movement component. Because if like, you have an absolutely. octane on your team and you do the slide, and the octane can speed up even more, that octane's dude. gonna be Sonic the Hedgehog, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's Man, awesome. That's nice. I like it. Ooh, that's so cool. I really want to play that now. Like, I want a legend like that in the game. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe maybe there will be soon. Hashtag dude, Slug Girl you, 2020. Respawn's <laughs> listening, dude. Respawn is listening. All right, Caleb, what do you got? So imagine with me for a second. You're in, you're in the middle of a game, all right? Okay. Match. The way this legend is introduced is... The entire map, say you're on World's Edge, the entire map just starts shaking. And out of the earth comes this figure. Oh, boy. All right? And his name. You ready for this? The Underminer! (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That would be... That's a cool idea. (laughs) Dang it, Colin. That was good. (laughs) But... All right, Jack. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. His name is Brick. <laughs> nice. With my dad almost named me. That's right. <laughs> and he looks like me. I'm his mom. <laughs> Here, so in in game, we have several different types of legends. You know, we have our scouts, we have our support characters, we have our mobility characters, very offensive, very defensive type type of characters. And I really wanted to create a legend that was very versatile. So I actually want y'all's help too. So I, I kind of wanted okay. to this to also be like a brainstorming session as well. A little a little <laughs> mini a mini brainstorming session. I have these concepts and I think it's, it could work really well. I just think that y'all's the way y'all think could help it fine tune it. So for his passive, so since he's like out of the earth, he's very in tune with with the elements of the earth. He has the ability to perceive enemies in a, in a much more amplified way. So you, so you know how how you can hear legends when they're walking near you, above you, like under you. Like right. imagine a legend that that was amplified. In such a way that you could see them through like a physical structure like like a building or through the mountainside if they're like right by it. Like you can see it like make out uh, as like if Spidey it's like a digital threat or something. Yeah. yeah. What you're talking about is kind of like 
Get ready, here comes nerd talk with Colin. Rek'Sai in League of Legends, when she goes underground, it limits her vision and makes everything fog of war, but she can see across the whole screen, and she's got the little sound indicators to help you hit your cue. But yeah, that's kind of like what I think you're saying, like a ping. I don't, I don't, I haven't played that, or whoever this legend is, so I don't really know. So Colin, your voice them. was phenomenal, that was good. Yeah, that was fun. Basically, you can't see see. But, like, you see, whenever someone is moving, like, you see a little indicator. Yeah. It's like a little ripple effect that goes behind them. So you can see where they are, and you can see further, but you can't actually see if that makes sense. So I'm with you. This is established in video games. You're on the right track. (laughs) Now, this is just your tactical, or his tactical, like, being able to perceive. And and if they're near a structure, like, say that brick is within the structure... They have to be within a certain distance of that structure in order for him to pick them up, like, visually. So, moving on to his tactical. Imagine for a second that, let's say Slug Girl's in the game, too. And, you know, her and her squad are sliding. They're sliding down this big hill, going quickly. They're having fun. They're about to, you know, third-party somebody. But Brick and his squad, they have used his tactical to tunnel directly beneath the surface. And it is in, like... It cannot be perceived that it, that it's tunneled, so they're sliding, and they fall right into them, right into the fight, like right on top of the squad. I don't quite understand. Tracking with me? I, I am not tracking. I call it. I am lost. So <laughs> you know how like Kosick, you know, can set his trap. Watson right. can put put up her fences. Okay. So imagine Brick creating this, and I haven't figured out the the width or depth of it but some kind of tunnel that he can either go in or just set up as a trap that is imperceivable from the surface. Okay. So if you are just walking across it, you're going to fall into it, and it's not oh, going to be like any a tiger damage. hole. Okay. Yeah, essentially like a tiger hole. Got it. You could either opt to just set them up so they're just traps and you can become aware if somebody falls into it, or you can hide within it and wait for somebody to come above you or fall in as they're sliding, as Slicker would. And then, like, obviously, they can climb out of it. Yeah, you it's, can climb out of it, of course. Or okay. Rocky can jump out of it. It just, or like, disrupts you. That's Yeah, it just disrupts okay. your sliding. It just, you just don't see it coming. You have to be, unless you're a bloodhound or someone that can scan for that kind of stuff. Interesting. Um, okay, all right. Now, here is the alternative option. You can either do that or say you're in the middle of a big fight it's a big open field you're getting third fourth fifth sixth partied and you're like i i really need some cover right now brick has the ability to instead of creating that tiger hole tunnel system to create a physical structure right in front of him so that he okay. can, like, can hide, hide around oh. yeah and that that was partially the inspiration it was like i was thinking you know it'd be cool to have like an earthbender style like legend in this game someone that can take advantage of the of the earth around him Okay. I dig it. That's cool. That's cool. So, the, so like, the passive is very much that he is scouting. He's helping his squad with, like, giving them information. The tactical is kind of defensive, kind of offensive, kind of a, a little bit of both. It just depends on how you want to play him. And then the ultimate. All right, this is the one I'm most excited about because there have been okay. so many matches where the ring has closed over a mountainside that I couldn't get around or over a structure that I couldn't get around because, because of the ring. And I couldn't, if you go outside the ring, you're going to die. Now imagine hits his ultimate 
and he creates a path through that physical structure, right? That he, like anyone can pass through. So it can go from the one side of the mountain to the other, one side of a wall to the other. Are you tracking with me on that one? I, I am. Like, and here's the thing. It doesn't go away. It's permanent and opponents can, can take advantage of it too. Yeah. Dude, that's so interesting. Yeah. What you're talking about now, I'm just going to warn you, Caleb. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't know a lot about video game design and programming <laughs> and whatever, <laughs> right? But what you're talking about is very difficult to program. <laughs> okay. Like, extremely difficult to program. Like, it's not like Rafe's programming, but to, like, an even more extreme level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Their next battle pass would have to cost, like, a hundred bucks <laughs> to pay yeah. for all the, the new... Well... <laughs> I guess so, but I think it'd be more like it, it'd have to be simplified. Like they'd have to make it yeah. like like they'd have to design every physical structure, every mountainside, so that he can just use his ultimate to essentially open a door. Okay, got that it. Was already pre like they could you know pre pre design it so wherever okay. he hits it, or maybe there's only and so it's not as busted. There's only certain points like there's extra doors, extra pathways. That are at limited okay. positions across the map that he can access that like no other legend can. That would be far more okay. Th- so instead of like just at any point a... on the building, there's like actually secret tunnel systems or secret doors that he can. Yeah, that, unlock. that he has access to. Okay, yeah. that. But makes once a it's open, like... it stays yeah, open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd they'd obviously like design like a, a rad animation to go with it. I'm assuming. Like... Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what would be cool. Is like that's if far it, more manageable, <laughs> for sure. And and this is why I wanted to talk to y'all about it because I knew y'all would help me fine tune it to get it to where it needs to be, for the reality of what it means to program a game to play the game. To get in the game, you gotta stay in the game. Anyway, God, I love Hamilton. Man, yeah. I'm so happy. This was a fun homework assignment. This yeah, was, good job, Caleb. Good job. This was Colin. almost as fun. Actually, this might have been more fun in a way than <clears throat> than doing the movie, casting the movie. I love this, man. It's it's good stuff. Apex talk with the boys. Isn't it nice? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Alright. Well, enough video games. Let's talk about movies. Movies. What? This is a movie podcast? <laughs> Whoa, I thought it was just about Apex. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's a film? <laughs> what, what is a film? What is this device? <laughs> what makes a film? How do I film? How do we film, boys? What are we talking about? What are we, what are we doing? What are we, uh, what are we, uh, what are we doing? So this segment is called Too Lazy to, is it log or check on <laughs> God dang it. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> no one knows. Not even our most avid listeners are aware. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know either, and I thought of the segment. <laughs> Bro, Yikes. too lazy to log on Letterbox. This is kind of the part where, you know, we give you a little preview at some of the films we're watching outside of the episode's feature length. Just, you know, show you what we're watching, give you our thoughts. Caleb watched a recent release lately. You know, in 2018, Ryan Gosling, he came out, played Neil Armstrong in First Man, and in 2020, Caleb sat down on his couch and said, I gotta watch The First Cow. So tell us a little bit about First Cow, Caleb. <laughs> what, what is That's this? hilarious. What is this movie? Like, y'all have been talking about this movie for a minute now, and I have 
no idea what it's about. Dude. Well, let's start with that. Caleb would call in like this movie. Well, the answer is no, dude. I already know. No. So here's the thing. It is a slow burn. Like this, like slow burns of slow burns. Like this is one of those kind of movies. So I don't think Colin would enjoy watching it. However, Colin, do you like heist movies? I don't hate heist movies. He's neutral. He's lukewarm. Yeah. Heist movies are fine. They exist. It's a genre. And I don't know. Sometimes they're okay, I guess. I liked Ocean's Eleven, you know? So this is like a very minimal heist movie, if that makes Ooh, sense. interesting. It's like America's first heist, if, if that's one way of putting it. Wait, are they heisting after the cow? Essentially, yeah. So, oh, the, yeah, so cool. the premise is like... There, there's a cow. This is the first cow. One of the first cows that's been brought to the Americas, and it's in the it's in the Oregon t- territory. And there is a a trapper, so someone that goes out and traps, sets out traps and hunts for animals. And he comes across a Chinese immigrant who is also in the Americas, seeking out a great fortune. You know, everyone's moving west. You know, it's a, and that's in that part of the of history. And they work together to develop this business of selling. They're essentially selling baked goods. And they need to use um, the cow's milk to uh, bake their goods. So it follows as they try to use that milk to make a fortune. And it's not their cow. They have to essentially steal it in the night. So it kind of follows their journey and what happens of them stealing the the, uh, cow's milk. Okay. Sounds very small time. Yeah. One of the things that I like about this movie is it does a good job putting you in that time of history just how slow paced it was what life would have been like what things would have felt like how conversations were like maybe it's inaccurate who's to say i didn't live back then but i trust the directors i trust the creators they did a they did a pretty good job with this i would i would i would recommend it if you're looking for a slow burn heist movie yeah kelly uh how do you say her last name Kelly Reithart or whatever, she seems like the type yeah. of director who's done her research. She's fairly big yeah. in like the kind of independent American film scene. She's been making mm-hmm. films since 08, 05. So th- there have been a lot of kind of like the more, I don't know if I would call it the indie wire crowd, but you know, mm-hmm. the, the people who watch more. This is an A24 film, and it very much is advertised as like, ah, an yeah. A24 prestige film. It has the Academy ratio. Here we go, film lovers. <laughs> The cat. Wait, wait, what is the? What is the cat? No, that that's a good learning opportunity. So, oh Colin, the Academy ratios. You remember uh, First Reformed with Ethan Hawke by uh, Paul Schrader? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember how it had that like blocky like style? Oh, to the frame? yeah, that's yeah. The Academy oh, ratio. okay, okay. And yeah. First Cow has that in this too. Oh lord. Yep. Okay. I think First Reform is also a twenty four film too. If I remember, it is probably. It very so, Colin, much is. a uh, actor in this film that you might be interested and excited about seeing in, in a story like this. Okay. Do, do you know who Toby Jones is? I do not. Who is Toby oh, Jones? Oh, what is he in? He's, so, he so, plays, he's in Harry Potter, right? Yeah, he plays in Harry Potter. He's also in um, the Captain America uh, movies. He was one of the That's right. He's scientists. The, the Hydra guy. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Toby jo- who did he play in uh, b- 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 Harry Potter? Um, he was in Chamber of Secrets. What what was his character? He was a minor oh, character. I remember that. Or I, I actually don't even remember. I'm looking it up right now. Toby Jones. He, he voices. Okay, this is right. He voices Dobby. 
Oh! We had that, like, eureka moment right yeah. there. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, he plays a uh, British man that, like, he, he owns the cow. Dobby, and it's, it's, like, Dobby in his field. Dolby almost spoke ill of his family, sir. Oh, so it's that guy. All right. Yeah. He's the one who owns the cow? Okay. Yep. Dobby became a free elf, and now he's owning cows. <laughs> Dobby. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, Caleb, you've yet to answer the, Jack's question. Which question? Would I like this movie? Oh, I already did. I said you probably wouldn't. Oh, that's fair. Good. All I right. think the heist movie question was a way to reevaluate that question. Yeah, I was, yeah, for sure. See, what I've heard about this film is this is very much a film that's like, you know, if you like your historical period pieces, you know, very well shot, very well lit, yeah. very pretty, and you just want to see a couple bros baking goods together, this is the film for you. <laughs> yeah. Baking goods together? What? You know, like baking bread. I guess. Gotta get that okay. bread. Yeah, let's get this bread. <laughs> Overall, Caleb, were you a fan of the film? Would you highly rate this? Were you were you pretty positive on the experience? Yeah, yeah. I was. I mean, I would rewatch it. It's a it's a good film. Like what you, both y'all said, it definitely has. It has that that Academy whatever you ratio. You yeah, that, yeah, that that ratio, and it's it's different, but it's a it's a good different, in my opinion, and it's an enjoyable it's an enjoyable th- movie to watch by itself even though it is slow there's something to think about while viewing it and i really appreciated that we would all know a thing or two about slow movies isn't that right jack (laughs) i know i was gonna say it's a good preview for what's coming up here with our feature presentation (laughs) but before we get to that colin without further ado caleb watched a film about the history of america and you watched a film about the history of your people and my people. Trolls, baby, 2016. Trolls, <laughs> baby. Nice. Tell us about the trolls. Okay, first of all, this movie is wild. Okay, you know how movies that like 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 are, are targeted at kids, they tend to be a very specific flavor of of bad. And what I mean <laughs> what I, what I mean by that is so you've got like your the nut jobs, right? Where they pick three big big people to, to play voices of all the characters in it, and you just think, oh, this is just like a cheap kids movie. Yeah, Even yeah. Though- Tom Hardy walks out of the theater, and be like, no, that was just nutty. Yeah, it was just nutty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're just like, wow, this is just like a weird failed attempt at like a cash grab type thing. I don't know. They feel very synthetic and very fake and just terrible. Okay. Mm. Trolls is not that. At all. Zero percent. I think what happened was someone up top was like, all right, we're going to make this crappy Trolls movie to satisfy all all my kids. My kids want singing and dancing and colors and stuff. Don't spend that much money on it. Just just send it out and it'll be whatever. But, like, someone down on the chain, like, the message got garbled and they were like, oh, crap, this movie has to be really good. And, like, everyone worked really hard on this movie. But then the executive was like, why'd you work so hard on it? Nah, 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 it was supposed to be a quick, easy penny. Anyway, so good. Now, this movie is colorful. It's got a ton of really hilarious moments in it. Man, the colors are just so, are the biggest thing that stand out to me. Now, Colin, real quick. Yeah. This is by DreamWorks, right? DreamWorks Animation, the Shrek yes. guys? Yes, mm, the Shrek and people. And Kung Fu Panda mm. and How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, yeah. 
they making quality business over there. Well, because I feel like DreamWorks has that reputation of like every three movies they'll make one hit out of those three movies. You yeah, know? Like, they'll make a lot of films you'll forget about in a couple of years, but then every now and then they pull out something that's kind of like, wow, this was this was pretty good. Like, wow, this is really good. And that I, I guess that was this movie, dude. The premise of this movie is that there are these things called oh boy, I forgot what they're called, Bergens. Okay, Bergens are like, for lack of a better word, they're like orcs. Okay, they're grumpy orc goblin looking things okay now bergens do not have the ability to feel happiness they don't they cannot feel happiness dude so how do they fix this they have a troll tree and introduce our main characters the trolls Mm. they're tiny itty bitty maybe you know three or four inches tall and the trolls as a people are full of happiness and the only way bergens can experience a portion of that happiness is by eating trolls. Oh, oh whoa. <laughs> okay. Dude. <laughs> that got dark fast. <laughs> it throws a big philosophical question yeah. right at the beginning. Is it moral <laughs> to eat someone in order for you to end your oppressive miserableness? <laughs> wow. Uh, truly a theme for a generation. <laughs> yeah, dude. They are, they are hitting... They're hitting hard at the beginning of this film. Now, obviously, as the film goes on, they realize, like, the Bergens, like, the the King Bergen figures out, oh, I don't have to eat trolls to be happy. Happiness was in me all along. But, like, it's a kid's movie. (laughs) I'm not going to hold that against it because, you know, kid's movie, okay? But everything in between is just so charming and so lovable and I'm debating on if I want to tell you guys about a particular scene. I think I am. Let me tell you the biggest laugh I got in this movie. There is a character referred to only as the cloud guy. And he looks exactly like I just described him. A cloud with arms and legs and a, and a face. And that's it. And he meets up with our main characters who are journeying back to try and save the rest of the trolls from getting eaten by the Bergens. Okay. This cloud guy gets in a conversation with the grumpy protagonist who is really grumpy and he's not a happy troll and he was prepared for this all along and then he learns to be happy again at the end of the movie. And he's like, come on, man, give me a high five and I'll tell you what to, where to go, how to get to the Bergens. And the grumpy troll's like, no, I'm not giving a high five. And then the next like 10 seconds are the funniest thing in cinema I've ever seen. He basically, this cloud guy just goes on this tangent and is like listing off different euphemisms for giving him a high five he's like come on up top nope party on the top floor nope and then he delivers this line little slappy make daddy happy <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good that's what one of our champs in the apex rat needs to say <laughs> yeah little slappy make daddy happy <laughs> i feel like that should be like one of pal's quips <laughs> Yeah, that would be good for Pal. It's so funny. It it is so unexpected. And it comes out of nowhere. It's like, party on the top floor. Little slappy. Make daddy happy. (laughs) It's incredible, dude. I cannot recommend this movie enough. The animation is beautiful. The main villain in this movie is animated in such a way that she is horrifying. You remember in The Little Mermaid how it faded out and then you got the Ursula eyes, just the Ursula eyes. 
and how menacing that was just from right, that. Right, right. I know you're talking like, about. Like, imagine yeah. that times a thousand. This face Ooh. that she makes in certain scenes is, I mean, demonic. It is unsettling, and I love it. Like, this movie is very extreme in a lot of ways, but I cannot recommend it enough. It's also very short. It's like an hour and a half. So The perfect recipe. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, love dude. our 90-minute movies. We, yeah. Oops. <laughs> I, like, this movie is, is so good that I debated on whether or not to force you guys to watch it in a full, in like a feature-length thing. Oh, I, I totally came very would. close. Oh, my goodness. What if that's the movie I pick next instead? <laughs> bro, please. I haven't it's even so seen it yet. so good. It's worth it literally just to get to the little slappy, make daddy happy. <laughs> it's so good. What a, what a scene. What a film. Wow, wow, wow. Go see it. Well, big shout out for Colin watching something a little, you know, we might not have been the target audience, but man, Colin got a lot out of it. There, there you go. Don't judge a book by its cover, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Well, I'm sure Colin will be bringing up this new classic of modern-day cinema in the future as we talk more about film discussion. One thing I want to talk about for my entry this week is normally on this Too Lazy section, I always pick a film that not a lot of people have heard of because those are just kind of the type of movies I like to go for, which we'll talk about more later. (laughs) But this week, I let my wife pick the film, and Daisy picked a little 2018 film that had been on my radar called Destination Wedding. And before I talk about this film, I want to ask you two a quick question. Okay. Do you A, like Keanu Reeves, and B, like Winona Ryder? Winona? Winona Ryder? Winona? Jack, you are so bad at talking and pronouncing (laughs) things. How do I have a podcast? (laughs) Dude. Winona Ryder. Yes, I like both of those people. I think think I, I like them. Now, that said, I don't go see movies just because of them. How about you, Caleb? Do you like those two actors? I mean, I've seen Winona What Ryder in a couple of movies, but it's not very memorable. Like, I don't have any vivid scenes. You're not like a hardcore Stranger Things fan or something. Yeah, yeah. No. And then Keanu Reeves, like, he's great in the first Matrix, but I'm not a huge stan for him. So I'm going to go ahead and say this. Don't watch this movie, but if you're ever at a party and you just want to make people have a weird reaction to a movie, put this movie on. Because this movie is either a masterpiece or it's the worst movie ever, and I really can't decide which is which. It's the perfect (laughs) two-and-a-half-star film. Nice. The basic plot of the film is it's your typical rom-com scenario. Keanu Reeves' brother is about to get married. He's having a destination wedding, and Ryder's character is also invited to the wedding, And they kind of get partnered to sit together, and their rooms are close to each other. And the reason for this is these are two of the most narcissistic, awful, cruel, despicable humans on the planet. And here's the selling point of the movie. No one else talks except these two characters. What? No one else has a speaking role. Bro! That that makes sense considering they're narcissistic characters. (laughs) It is wow. such a slog to sit through. It's awful, but it's kind of amazing that they said, okay, we have Reeves and we have Ryder. Let's make a movie out of them just being awful people to each other. Holy crap. Dude, that sounds, that sounds crazy. super intriguing. No, I'm telling you, like, this is the type of film you put on at a party to see how people react to it because you'll learn a lot about people by how they react to this. <laughs> 
it's not even bad filmmaking. Like, there's a great shot at the beginning of the film where they're at the back of this plane, and they're sitting so awkwardly by each other, and they're just so uncomfortable. And there's another great bit where Reeves is describing to Ryder why he hates his stepdad, and he's talking about how, like, his stepdad shot him, and he had to go break his stepdad's skull. But Reeves is delivering it in this way where it's just this really quiet, really intense Keanu voice, and it's just so good. Now, all wow. that being said, this is 90 minutes of two very narcissistic characters talking to each other. So, mm. based off that, you kind of already know whether you're going to like it or not. And I can tell you, because this kind of happened with Daisy. If you're not into the film 20 minutes in, turn it off, go away. Like, you're not going to get anything yeah, else it, out of it. it's not getting better. <laughs> it, exactly, exactly. The 100%. But it seemed like you two were kind of intrigued by it. I really am. On like, a conceptual truly, level. Truly am. <laughs> It's not a good movie, but I would not call it a bad movie by any means. It's very much an interesting film. It's one of those films that, in many ways, I'll always come back to this film and think about, wow, Destination Wedding was a real thing. <laughs> but I can't say, like, anyone's going to enjoy it unless you like Ryder and Reeves. Okay. so I feel like this is the kind of movie that I probably won't care for. But who knows? I could. But Jack, change. my question to you is this. Does your mother like it? Mm. I know, and that's how I heard about the film, is my mom loves Keanu. <laughs> Freaking Colin. People are listening <laughs> to me like, what the? <laughs> yeah. Why, why does Colin know so much about Jack's mom? That's gross. <laughs> oh, Freaking <laughs> trolls. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, We're all related. <laughs> yeah, all exactly. Trolls. My mom is the um, biggest Keanu Reeves fan. She loves, loves, loves Keanu Reeves. And I think she tried to sit down and watch this and just couldn't get through it. <laughs> Ouch, bro. Ouch. Feels real bad. But, okay. (laughs) I mean, I'd be down to watch 20 minutes of this movie and then make a hasty decision about whether or not I liked it. Yeah, that's... And what Colin Colin just said there, that's all I have to say. That's my final thoughts. (laughs) Now, Caleb, you have one film you were pretty hung up on. You really liked it. I don't know if you liked it as much as Colin liked Trolls, but it sounds like you might (laughs) have liked it more than I liked Destination Wedding. Oh, for sure. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this little Edward Norton film, The Illusionist. Yes, for those of you who don't know about The Illusionist, I wouldn't be surprised if you don't know because it came out around the same time as The Prestige which that really took up a lot of people's attention and time and money at the, at the box office. Uh, but this is a movie that is cut from a similar cloth to the extent that it is a story about a magician, and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Previous to watching it, I'd heard that they were really similar and that the Prestige did a better job, but they're really not. The story is just vastly different. Even the fact that they're magicians is pretty different. They're different kinds of magicians where the prestige focuses on the behind the scenes. These are the three acts of the magician's act. The illusionist delves more into the spiritual, the more subtextual discussions that are to be had surrounding the world of magic. Interesting. That's kind of cool. They portray that on the screen in a really exciting and new way that I personally haven't seen before on a screen. And I really enjoyed it. I so much so I actually prefer this to the Prestige, but I see why the Prestige got all all the notoriety and and the attention. Because how do you beat Nolan, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, as well as having Hugh Jackman on your team? <laughs> no, yeah, the Prestige is a pretty stacked yeah. cast. That's for sure. Say what you will about it Nolan; really he knows how to get some big names together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Hugh Jackman definitely knows how how to steal a show. 
I'll give him that. That he does. I do want to read a little description of this movie that's on on Letterboxd, just so that the listeners and y'all can get a, a refresher. If I don't know if you, both of you have actually seen this. With his eye on a lovely aristocrat, a gifted illusionist named Eisenheim uses his powers to win her away from her from her betrothed, a crown prince. But Eisenheim's scheme creates a tumult within the monarchy and ignites the suspicion of a dogged inspector. And the inspector is played by the Paul Giamatti. And let me tell you, he is amazing in this movie. Oh, nice. Like, he does oh, not get oh, enough yeah. attention. Nice. Like, I genuinely think he needed to win awards for the this. The G-Man is like, great. Was, I like Giamatti. His facial expressions, his eyebrows, he he, he knows how to, to act. He has so much range. Do y'all have any particular movies that Paul Giamatti has done that y'all y'all like? Bro, uh, is it Shoot 'Em Up where oh, Paul yes. Giamatti oh is gosh. the villain and and Clive Owen is like Bugs Bunny, yep. the shooter. Yep. <laughs> so, Colin, I'm so happy you brought up. I haven't seen that one. It's a great Paul That's Giamatti cool. movie. Highly recommend Shoot 'Em Up. Mm. Cool. I have an obscure one that he's in that I like. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's from I think it's from the 2000s as well. He plays the antagonist. Oh, it's called Big Fat Liar. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Have y'all seen Big Amanda Fat Liar? Where he yeah. gets turned into, yeah. where he gets turned blue. <laughs> it's that part is so funny. I I watched the movie so many times growing up. Uh, but anyway, back to the Illusionist. This movie has a very Shakespearean approach to telling the story. That by itself should be enough to demonstrate how dissimilar this is from the Prestige. And if all you get from me talking about the illusionist right now is that it's not like the prestige then i'm i'm totally fine with that because i don't understand why these are compared so much other than the fact that they were released around the same time i mean it's a movie about magicians that yeah i understand but the illusionist <laughs> is just one magician correct yeah right yeah. now colin you've seen the illusionist right it was a long time ago but you've seen yeah it. I, i've seen it once a long time ago and i Personally, I remember liking uh, The Prestige more, but I am a huge Nolan fan. I was probably uh, blinded. I need to rewatch it, uh, The Illusionist. Actually, I need to rewatch both of them. Maybe we do a double feature one day. <laughs> Illusionist versus The Prestige. Yeah, I wanted to ask Caleb about that. Which film do you think you like better? If, if that's a okay question to ask. <laughs> I definitely prefer the the illusionist mainly because I mean that's a that's a pre- preferential thing. I do think that the prestige has some obvious, I mean, is higher craft to some extent. Mm, okay, okay. Um, however, the acting though, I think I do prefer some of the acting in the the illusionist than I do the prestige. So overall, between my objective and subjective looks on it, I prefer the illusionist. Interesting. Some of the themes you're bringing up as far as the illusionists go do sound kind of interesting. Like it sounds like there's something to grab there for people who may not have been satisfied with the prestige or, you know, maybe want a little bit more of that context or subtextual elements in regards Mm -hmm. to magicians in that time period. Yeah, for sure. Now, I want to say two quick things before we move on. The first is about Mr. Giamatti is he is in a 2018 film directed by Tamara Jenkins called Private Life. Earlier we were talking about Paul J. Amati films we like. This is a film on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's called Private Life. It also stars Catherine Hahn, and it's about Giamatti and Hahn play these two kind of like upscale, well-regarded, she's a writer, he's in the theater world. 
and they're in their 40s and they really want to have a child, a baby, and they're not having a much bunch of luck. And all of a sudden, um, one of their um, family members, their younger kind of college-age family members, kind of has to come live with them. And there's a conversation that happens where she offers to be their, like, donor to have the baby. And it is a very, like, dark comedy, kind of cringy, awkward, modern life, like, you know, you're in your 40s, you might not be in your happiest place, but you want to have a family. And it's a very uncomfortable movie, but it's great acting, great screenplay. Highly recommend Private Life by Tamara Jenkins. It's on Netflix. Great, great film. Caleb, you, I think you would really like Private Life. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. That sounds interesting. So I'm, I'm going to give that film a shout-out just because we're talking about Paul Giamatti. Now, the second thing I want to say, nice. this is more about The Illusionist. I have not really seen The Illusionist, but... <laughs> <laughs> really seen that's funny okay so at my last job i worked in retirement living in a senior living center and it was kind of one of those finger quotes luxury living like you know oh this is the nice retirement home but whatever and mm-hmm. we always did um i was their activities director so we would do like movie mondays and one time for movie nice. monday the movie we had picked the dvd wasn't working it stopped working and all the ladies, Uh-oh. all the old ladies were like, no, we want to watch a movie, Jack. We need to watch a movie. And I was all like, <laughs> uh, well, okay, does anybody want to volunteer a movie? And there was one resident. She never, ever <laughs> talked, just dead silent. Just She always was so quiet. And she's a really cool resident. She did really good artwork. She was really talented. And mm. she raised her hand and said, I have movies. I'll be right back. So we waited five minutes. She went up to her room, came back. That's awesome. She came back with two movies. <laughs> One was oh The Illusionist. Boy. The other one was The Born Ultimatum. <laughs> what a combo. Wow. And I thought, we're Definitely not... not the best part. <laughs> well, I was just kind of like, we're not watching the third movie in a trilogy when it's just a bunch of old ladies. No, so we picked The Illusionist and everyone hated it. It was amazing. Wow. See, I don't understand that. Like, I really, I don't get the, the hate. You don't I, understand that old people are just bitter? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not just old people. It's like people our age, too, that have told me that they don't think this is a good movie. And I don't think I understand why. Interesting, interesting. Well, I don't we know. here at Yelling at the Screen are here to give you Caleb's seal of approval for The Illusionist. How's our boy Norton in it? Is he good? Oh, he is. He is so good. Like, I think I read a, like a, a review somewhere that talked about like they didn't know that they would fall in love with Ed- with Edward Norton watching this movie. Doesn't he also play the Hulk in one of the Hulk movies? Yeah, the isn't that, 08 isn't Hulk that true? Movie. Yeah. yeah. The Incredible Hulk. Incredible. Official title. Was he a jerk on set? Oh, you know it. You know oh, it. I don't, he had to be. <laughs> I don't know much about Did the... he pull the director over and say, uh, excuse me, you need to be doing this shot totally differently and like ridicule him about how he's not a real artist oh man i don't know much about what their sets were like and how they behaved on set i don't i've that heard kind Ed of the norton charm appeal that. of edward norton is like knowing like okay this guy's a pretty good actor but also thinking like this guy's also a total asshole <laughs> oh yeah. Know it. yeah all right well that will do it for too lazy to log slash check on letterbox it's time for the moment we've all been waiting for it's time, ladies and gentlemen, for our feature presentation for today's episode, the 1968 Spaghetti Western, directed by Sergio Leone. This is Once Upon a Time in the West. This is the film I picked for this week. Caleb picked last week's film, Colin picked two weeks ago, so I got my turn to pick. 
And I want to say, part of the reason I picked this film was I was sitting down watching Infinity War, getting ready to talk about it on the podcast, and I thought, man, this film is crap. It's atrocious. I don't like it. Wow. And I thought, I really <laughs> need to pick a film that I enjoy, that I like, and that way, you know, hopefully Caleb and Colin enjoy the film too. So, first question up to bat. What do we think of the movie? I think I texted you guys before that this is the most beautiful movie that I ever hated. Boom. <laughs> that is a good description. I, I do I do respect that that view. I had a good impression of it. I don't know that it's a movie that I'm, you know, going to rewatch anytime soon or maybe even ever. But it is one that has some pretty iconic shots that I, I enjoyed. Didn't hate it, but didn't like, you know, love it, love it. And going off what Colin's saying, there was a point a few days ago where my dad came over to see the new apartment, and I was telling him how we're going to cover this movie on the podcast, and my dad loves, loves, loves westerns. Like, 90% of the books he reads are western books. And I was mentioning this movie because I know my dad loves The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which Sergio Leone directed before this film. And my dad just looked at me and goes, that's the one with the harmonica guy, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's it, Dad. And my dad goes, that's an awful film. I hate that movie. (laughs) And it suddenly dawned on me, like, oh, maybe Colin and Caleb won't like this movie as much as I do, (laughs) which is good. That's an exciting change of pace for the pod, you know? That's true. Ladies and gentlemen, this film is slow, 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 slow. Good Lord. And it, like... (laughs) Maybe that's something that Jackie can provide some more context for because it seemed at times unnecessary how slow some of these scenes were, like and especially some of the close-ups on the face and just how long they stared at, at certain points of the story. No, that's fair. That's a great place to start with this movie. Like, is that a style? Is that like a just something that film did for a while? My discussion question is literally, is this movie actually spoofing westerns and, like, just making fun of western tropes? Well, or is this that. just western? No, that's a great starting point. And I, I might I might actually answer your questions by posing a question. And what do you know about this director, Sergio Leone? What do you know about, like, the good, the bad, and the ugly? I know ugly, he did the good, the bad, and the ugly. Few yep. Dollars More trilogy with Clint Eastwood, Man With No Name. What do you know about those movies? I know that this guy is supposed to be really freaking good at directing westerns, and yep. I was just like, "Oh, good lord, this is, this is, this is." I hate this, and it's beautiful. It's a very well-made movie. I'm sure critics love it. I hate it. It's it's poo-poo garbage. Oh yeah, it's critics. So Colin, you're right. Critics love this movie. As in, I want to say this is one of like the highest rated Westerns of all time on like IMBD letterbox Metacritic. It's it's, this is a huge film. People love this movie. Not everyone, not everyone. Roger Ebert, I think only gave it like two and a half stars. So not everyone loved this film, but the general consensus is this is a masterpiece. That's kind of what you see. Let me, let me check letterboxes. That's the sense that I got. Uh, 4.3 average rating on letterbox. What was your question that you posed, Jack? Oh, I was just curious what you heard about the film, because I think before we start talking about the style and what it means, it's important to kind of update you guys with some background information. Yeah, I think the most I'd heard was probably from you, Jack, or I just looked at lists and saw that it was ranked pretty high as as a Western and even amongst the greater film rankings. Okay, you guys got your seatbelts ready, right? Oh, okay. Are you buckled in? Strapped in okay? I hope so. No, I hate this. <laughs> 
what's gonna happen i don't like surprises like this bro <laughs> All right, buckle in, boys, because I'm going to give you the short version. (laughs) So westerns were really big popular, 30s, 40s, 50s, and Japanese filmmaker Akira Kurosawa thought, you know, these samurai movies we're trying to make, they're not too different from the American westerns, and he started kind of making his samurai films in the image, reflection, respect to Americanist westerns. You see that a bit with, like, Seven Samurai and his samurai series Yojimbo, and even, like, the American film audience, they remade Seven Samurai as a Western called The Magnificent Seven. Okay. And what happened was Sergio Leone was an Italian director who saw Akira Kurosawa's Japanese films and thought, you know, I love a lot of the Westerns that Kurosawa loves, but I kind of want to make Westerns that are taking influence from Akira Kurosawa. So it turns into this... The Japanese film market was influenced by the American film market, and all of a sudden the Italian film market is influenced by the Japanese film market in regards to this genre of movies, the Western. So the Spaghetti Western pops up when Sergio Leone creates A Fistful of Dollars with Clint Eastwood, which is a story-wise retelling of Akira Kurosawa's 1961 film Yojimbo. It's the exact same story, but whether Yojimbo was about a samurai, this was about Clint Eastwood as a cowboy western and they're called spaghetti westerns because they're usually created by italian filmmakers they're never really filmed in the actual states they're usually filmed in like spain and germany and as i probably should have warned colin (laughs) they don't really record audio on set they do a lot of post-dub adr where the actors colin's nine his head like you should have warned me (laughs) bro dude (laughs) holy shit yeah So I've never seen so much ADR in a film. Before. Oh yeah, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, there's only a few points where it's bad, bad. But like, why, why, why with the ADR? Why so much? So the reason Too for that, much. Colin, is because if you're working on these spaghetti westerns, the film, the guy with the camera over there speaks Spanish. The actor you're in the scene with speaks German. You speak English, and then the director speaking Italian. That's stupid. That's how they made films. That's how these <laughs> spaghetti westerns were made. That's absolutely nutty, bro. And now they've made films that a lot of people consider classics. <laughs> Dude, one of the funniest. So speaking, okay, let's talk about the opening ten minutes of this. Oh movie. wait, hold on. Let me let me <laughs> okay, say one more thing before we get to that. Oh, okay. I'm getting there. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. And sorry. I promise Go this is the short it. version too. <laughs> Good. So God. Sergio Leone creates what's called the Man with No Name trilogy: a fistful of dollars, a few dollars more, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they're called the Man with No Name trilogy because they're all starring Clint Eastwood as the Man with No Name. And even though he's a different character in each of them, and I'm pretty sure some of them he has names. And they're a huge hit. They're huge, huge hits. They basically make Clint Eastwood one of the biggest stars on the planet. Good and the Bad and the Ugly was a major success. And at this point, Sergio Leone said, okay, I made my three westerns. I'm retiring from westerns. I want to make films about, like, 1920s immigrants, Italian immigrants in America, which he would eventually do with Robert De Niro in the 1980s. But before he did that... I think it was Paramount Pictures went up to Sergio Leone and said, hey, we want you to make another Western, and we're going to give you a buttload of money to make this Western. And Sergio Leone said, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it for the art. And they said, well, you know your favorite actor, Henry Fonda? And Leone looked at them and said, I love Henry Fonda. And they said, we'll let you use Henry Fonda in this Western. And he goes, let's go. And so he made Once Upon 
a Time in the West. Okay. A big part of Once Upon a Time in the West, as far as its script goes, it's very much a commentary on the Western. It's very much directed and written by a guy who was tired of making Westerns and wanted to kind of take a more introspective reflection on the Western. Now, this opening is the perfect example of that. Leon's really close friend and longtime like collaborator, who actually just passed away a few months ago, sadly, uh, this is Ennio Morricone. He's one of the most famous film composers of all time. And the Spaghetti Westerns were really well known for his iconic soundtracks he would write, these scores he would write, these compositions he would write for the movies. So what better way to start your more introspective, like, critique of the Western than have 10 solid minutes of your movie without any of his soundtrack, any of his music? Dude. But he did write the music for the movie. He did. Because right? he, he the parts did. that had the parts that had music, I I, I actually really really enjoyed. Like I love mm-hmm. the score. Oh, absolutely! So, it's a phenomenal score. Homeboy. Yes, it is. A what, good, how do you, how a do you say how do you say his it's name? It's like Ennio the, the Morricone. I think is how you say it. Ennio Morricone. Oh wow, Colin got <laughs> nice. No, that was supposed to be anyway. Doesn't matter. Ennio Morricone. <laughs> no, I'm pretty make, sure he did all make the, the good score for each of uh, Sergio Leone's films, and he's phenomenal. He's easily the greatest composer that ever lived, and I I don't even feel like that's an exaggeration. I love his work. Oh yeah, there's some iconic. I feel well. I don't know how iconic they are <clears throat> in like the grand landscape, but like there's some good sounding score in this. Well, and really, like, if you think about it, and then I'll stop ranting, is you have those (laughs) ten minutes where the guys come to the train station, they wait, there's only, like, the water and the fly, no music, harmonica comes, kills them, and then all of a sudden... Let's talk about that fly. Hold on one second, one second, I'm almost (laughs) done, I promise I'm almost (laughs) done. We'll talk about that fly. But then after that, you cut to uh, McBain's place, and he's getting ready for his wedding, his kids are getting ready... And then they all get killed, and Frank and his men come in, and that's the first time the needle drops, the first time the music really comes in, you know? Right. So at that point, you've gone 15 minutes into the movie without any music, but it's like, there he is, Henry Hoffonda, the guy who always plays the good guy, the hero, he is the bad guy, and he's about to kill this child, and here comes the music. Well, now that you've called me by name. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I guess. So if if I sound kind of excited here, it's because I really do love this film a lot. And no spoiler by saying this, of all the films we've covered, like as feature-length episodes, this is easily my favorite, which is part of the reason why I chose it, because I wanted to share a favorite with you guys. Oh, Jack. Respect that. <laughs> Colin? <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, thank you for sharing <laughs> a movie that you find lovable and awesome. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's cool. thanks i hate it nice nice well you want to talk more about that colin i do okay so let's talk about the first 10 minutes of this movie number one we're talking about that fly <laughs> that fly occupies a significant part of my notes let's do it let's talk about <laughs> the fly get out of here jeff goldblum <laughs> here's the deal the fly that was buzzing around him like and landed on his face and stuff uh also, I had such a hard... Okay, Jack, I had to look up a plot of this movie just to make sure I understood everything correctly, okay? I feel that. Because this movie bounced all over the place, but we gotta focus on that fly. <laughs> that was a fake fly. This is Flygate. I'm calling it right now. Flygate? That fly is fake. 
they're using fake flies to cover up the fact that we're killing all the bees. Uh, they couldn't afford <laughs> bees, so they had to get a plastic fly, and it was fake, and I hated it. Oh, anyway, my fly rant is over. But here's the other thing about this movie. We all know it's in my name. I'm average. The average you. The average viewer. Okay? This movie is so is 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 so slow and shots linger on things for so long that I I, I checked out multiple times. I checked out, I looked at my phone, played my Star Wars game, okay? Because I was like, look, we've been doing this shot for five minutes. The mirror scene where Jill looks into the mirror, and it's like a solid three minutes of her looking into the mirror. And even if it's not three minutes, it feels like three minutes. Oh, absolutely. It definitely feels long. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Oh, Lord. All of that said, I understand where critics are coming from. I understand how someone could watch this and be like, this is a masterpiece. The shot composition, the cinematography, wow, beautiful, incredible. For me, dude, I, I couldn't do it. This is, this is just not my kind of movie. It's just not there for me. I'm uncultured. I'm a pig. I'm a swine. You may be a pig, but you're our pig. Wow. <laughs> no, that was cold. I'm kidding. Caleb, how about you? What did you think of the slowness of the film? Because I totally agree with Colin. I think this is a very slow film. So in Too Lazy, I brought up Fresh Cow, and that is a slow-paced movie. Definitely, I described it as the slow burns of slow burns, and I think that Once, Once Upon a Time in the West still fits in that category for sure. I don't like Once Upon a Time in the West as much as I like Fresh Cow. Here's the thing about how slow-paced Once Upon a Time is. It's trying to be like... My, my perspective of this is like it's trying to be bold with how slow it's moving because mm, mm. like you're probably right jack like there is some commentary on the western itself and maybe if i had seen more westerns i might be able to get how that's a commentary but i haven't seen more westerns and that's definitely going to be a bias for how i think about this movie i i am on board 1000 percent with what caleb just said Right. So, like, that being said, this being one of the first legitimate full-length Westerns that I've seen, I'm not going to enjoy or appreciate how slow some of these shots are. And it's not just that they're slow. It's that, and I heard, and somebody wrote this really well, they, they talked about how it's un, it doesn't make any sense why some of these characters are just staring as long as they are. And not just staring, but being physically still. Yes. That like nobody is that still. I know it was a long time ago. I know things were different or things are different now because of technology and the times we live in. But there's gotta like it just felt so like contrived how still things were. And maybe that's similar to First Cow in the sense that it's making it's giving you a sense of what it was like in those times and what it was like to interact to have conflict, to, to, to just live in, in that era. Yeah, and, and now that you say this, Caleb, I actually kind of really want Colin to watch First Cow to see if he's more Team Cow or Team West. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Bro. Colin said, I need a break from slow movies, Dude, boys. <laughs> I do, man. One of my notes was literally, too much looking, enough with the looking. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. looking at the people, but they can't see each other's eyes. This is some BS. But I think that's what I like about Quentin Tarantino, though, is he, like, speeds that up. Those shots where they're, like, looking, he makes those more dramatic and very and very quick-paced. 
I yes. And I'm glad you bring up Tarantino, Caleb, because Tarantino is kind of the poster boy for contemporary spaghetti western conversation. Not just in that he yeah. made Django and Hateful Eight, but even like the Kill Bill movies have a lot of spaghetti western references in them. And a lot of, I think, mm-hmm. the buildup that Tarantino loves in Spaghetti Westerns, you can kind of see in his movies, there are these long passages of just characters talking and going towards the violence, and then it kind of happens. So Tarantino is definitely a student in this style who is also kind of sure. trying to create it in his own fashion that it seems like you two like more than something like Once Upon a Time in the West. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, that mainly has to do with the fact that I've seen more Tarantino movies than I have seen Westerns. And and this is where I kind of have to admit, like, halfway through my rewatch of this film, I thought, man, I love this film. I'm also a jerk, (laughs) because... I'm also a jerk. (laughs) No, I really felt that, because I was like, if they haven't seen Good, Bad, and the Ugly, there are certain parts of this film that I feel like you almost can't appreciate as much. And maybe that's a pretentious thing to say, but I think when we get to our ratings of the film, my biggest flaw with this movie is that... The film is better after you've seen, A, more Spaghetti Westerns, and B, specifically The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Okay. Because I've never seen, yeah, I, I've, I've never seen that. So I got that feeling throughout the movie, like, man, I bet if I'd seen e- even just, like, other more Westerns. Because really, now that I think about it, the only Western from this time period-ish that I've seen would be True Grit, like the John Wayne True Grit. And I don't think that these are the same type of movies at all. Oh, absolutely like, not. That's why they're called spaghetti westerns. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I it, it it didn't help me. It didn't anyway. I was missing something. There was an inside joke happening that I was not in. Yeah, on. you described that so well. That is exactly how I felt watching yes. this movie. Something. Yeah. And a good example of that kind of comparison Colin's talking about is I recently watched this Spaghetti Western a few days ago, a few days ago called Day of Anger, and it stars Lee Van Cliff, who played the titular bad character in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And Day of Anger, the plot is basically Lee Van Cliff is a crazy, like, morally gray gunslinger, really badass, really cool, and he finds this Mm -hmm. underdog kid who's basically, his job is to be the trash man in his town, and everyone hates him. And he teaches this kid to, like, Luke Skywalker up and be the ultimate gunslinger. And that is a film that is very heavy on gunfights, very heavy on action. And it's definitely the same genre of film as Once Upon a Time in the West. So I think you guys would probably like Day of Anger more. Now, that being said, what I really love about Once Upon a Time in the West and why I like it more than something like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and Day of Anger is... I am very much similar to Leon, and I think that Leon and I are much more interested in the buildup leading to violence more than the actual violence and action that happens. And that's not to say that the violence and actions and set pieces aren't cool, because, you know, when Cheyenne's on top of the train fighting everybody using his boot, that was an awesome scene. But for me, I find a similar level of quality, maybe different quality, but a similar level of excitement in watching those guys wait for their demise at that train station. Yeah. Okay, I see see what you're saying, but here's what... So I wanted to go back to that train scene for a second. So that scene is still slow. Yes. It's not moving quickly at all. The train's moving, but even back then, the train's not moving as fast as they probably move today. Yeah. Um, so it's still yeah. a slow shot. Like I feel like the other scenes, like the like the intro scene you're describing, Jack. It seems 
taking it to the next level. Absolutely. Of how slow Absolutely. It, 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 it like can be. And I think I like when it's slow, but it has that, like it packs a punch. I don't think some of those other slow shots actually do like the, the, the buildup and what they get to doesn't it doesn't really do it justice for how slow it was if that makes sense they don't, I don't earn know if it I said that really well yeah they don't earn it yeah that's a better way of saying it unearned glory shots in a lot of situations like very much unearned shots and i'm not i'm not down with that if you're gonna give me one of those slow shots like I, and the bad part is i don't even understand or i don't even necessarily know what i mean or what it takes to earn that kind yeah. of cred again I haven't seen enough westerns, so yeah, I agree. I I really think that that is holding both Caleb and I back real far. No, that's fair. I for think sure. that's fair. I respect that. And for me, like, what I really want to break down is because I am kind of throwing you two out to the wolves with a genre you're not familiar with. And part of the reason I brought this film up for discussion is when we were talking about contemporary westerns, Hell or High Water, the True Grit remake, Django Unchained. You both seem to really enjoy them, so I was curious as how you would do thrown into kind of the mid-tail end of the spaghetti western movement to see, because a lot of the westerns you guys like were inspired by spaghetti westerns, so I wanted to see how you would feel about this film. Now, granted, there is an argument to be made that this is not the starter spaghetti western, but because it's so highly acclaimed, I would argue a lot of people do start with this one, right? Maybe. I feel like that's an investigation that we'd have to look further into. Right. But this is not Baby's First Western, or Baby's First Spaghetti Western. This is, I've been doing this years, and uh, I'm going to stare. I I can stare down my opponent. Yeah, even even your point about the bad guy in this movie, what is his name? Henry Fonda. Well, he plays his name. Who who does he play? Frank, that's right. Like even your point about him, about how like oh when he comes on screen, you and he turns out to be the bad guy. It's like oh like you don't ever see this. Like me and Colin don't don't know anything about this actor. Yeah. Like that's something yeah. that you have context for that we don't. Yeah. Like there's almost this like like fifth wall thing that happens for the viewer where you like oh this guy always is this big western star and now he's the like the big baddie. Yeah, now he's the bad guy. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great transition point into a discussion question I have. Okay. So I think my general discussion question is actually, let me pull it up. I want to, I, I like this question. So, like, how do you two personally, and this doesn't just relate to this film, even though we've talked a lot about it, this relates to any film that's canonized as a classic. How do you guys engage with those films that are considered classics if you don't necessarily connect with them? in the way Caleb's describing. You know, you don't know the background information about Fonda. You don't know about, like, uh, Ennio Morricone's relationship with Leon. Like, I'm curious, like, how do you guys like to engage with the classics of cinema in regards to whether you dislike them or like them? Here, Here's my thing, right? I assume I'm not going to like old, like, old movies that are classics. And I like where you're going with that. Yeah, keep going, keep going. That's good I literally point. just assume that I won't like them. Like, and unfortunately, I, I assume that, like, if a movie is very highly critically praised uh, by a, you know, by, by the powers that be, uh, whether it gets a lot of Oscar buzz or whether it got in the past a lot of Oscar buzz, I just assume that I won't like it because 
my vision for what an enjoyable fun or an enjoyable movie is going to be is so vastly different from artsy critics out there. So a film like this that got such high praise, again, I kind of, maybe this is my own fault, going into movies with a bad attitude. <laughs> I'm not going to like the movie because, because critics like the movie. But, like, that's how I feel about a lot of these classic films. Like, I don't act, I, I don't want to watch, like, Citizen Kane because I know I'm not going to like it. <laughs> Like, I know I'm not going to like it. And people are going to be like, how can you not like Citizen Kane? Oh, my God, you're not a good movie person. <laughs> Dude, these movies are slow. They're boring. Like, I don't enjoy films if like If it that. makes you feel any better, Colin, Citizen Kane is way better than this movie. I'm just going to say that. Put it on the record. <laughs> I right. said it. <laughs> it does make me wow. feel a little bit better. <laughs> No, like Citizen Kane, I, I think it lives up to the hype. That's just my opinion, but keep going, keep going. All right, fair enough. Now, I that guess. being said, Citizen Kane isn't even the best Orson Welles film, and I think that's pretty telling. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Yeah. No, but I, that, that's my engagement with classic film, is I, I literally assume I'm not going to like it. And I tell you what, self-fulfilling prophecy, normally, I'm right. How about you, Caleb? What do, what do you think in regards to the classic conversation? I do have a clarifying question for you. When you say engage with a classic film, how would you describe what it means to engage with maybe just a film in general, but then a classic? So I think Colin hit it on the nose. And I, I mean, I, this is why I like doing a podcast with Colin, because Colin is very upfront about his bias. And I sure. think bias is one of those weird subjective terms that's kind of like, oh, why would I listen to a podcast that's like by people who are biased against spaghetti westerns and it's kind of like well no that's that's the wrong attitude to have because film discourse should not be about living in an echo chamber because for me it's like i loved our Candyman discussion last week but in some ways i didn't like it as much as this discussion because all three of us looked at each other and said that was a great movie let's talk about how great it was now we can talk about like okay jack thinks this is a great movie why do you think it's a great movie Colin, why do you go into these movies with your bias? And that's kind of what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, Caleb. Like, you know, we need to talk about the conversation discourse around this film and whether or not that affects your viewing of the film. And I think Colin does a great job of doing that. And I was curious if when you watch quote-unquote classic films, you ever have that feeling. So when I watch a classic movie like this, or really any movie that I'm not super familiar with, especially if it's a genre that I don't normally... Uh, look into I don't try to go into it assuming that I'm going to dislike it I try to give it the benefit of the doubt like oh let's just see what happens I'm curious how this is going to unfold with a movie like this someone that has a lot of notoriety ranked pretty highly or consistently ranked really highly I I don't know like it was a weird experience watching it because I like Colin I too had these moments where I got disengaged. I was like, oh, like, this was good. And then it stopped getting good because it took too long to get to where it wanted to go. I agree. Every scene had, like, this great potential. It was masterfully done, like, high craft. But then it just kept, it just was so prolonged. I was like, this seems unnecessary. This isn't as enjoyable now. So I would get pulled out of it. And then I get pulled back in by the next scene. I was like, oh, this is cool, too. But then it lose me again. So I want it to be amazing. I want it to be a masterpiece. 
but I but it just isn't working for me. The vibe I'm picking up is with Colin. It was very much of like you knew like from that get go. You were like, okay, I'm not gonna like this. I'm pushing myself through. I'm gonna do this for my boy Jack, right? <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, I'm, I'm talking about Colin, not you. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Caleb's just a lot like, nicer than me. <laughs> yeah, I, here's the thing. If that and this kind of goes into one of the things we want to talk about soon, but if that opening sequence was shorter, it would have hooked me quicker. But because it was so prolonged and slow, like that just, I was like, dang, I feel like this is about to be what this whole movie's like. Yeah, and I think that's a fair And then it was. (laughs) So for me personally, my kind of like rebuttal is, I very much like that style a lot because for me, those characters just waiting, yeah. focusing on the water dripping on his hat and the fly and the gun. For me, that kind of calls attention to the sound design and the camera and the editing because one thing Leon is so well known for in his style is the close-up on faces. Did you guys notice that while watching this? There are a lot of really extreme, and I think extreme is the problem, oh, yes. close-ups on people's eyes and you faces. You can't miss it. It happens enough a lot. with the looking too much looking <laughs> and that's the thing is i think the difference between you, you guys and me is i want filmmakers to focus on that that's what i'm interested in whether it's you guys kind of want more of the narrative beats to push themselves along at a faster pace yeah i i, I need i need this movie to go to go fast yeah i don't i don't want it to be a quick movie like this wasn't this isn't supposed to be a quick movie it's a spaghetti western like i know there's a certain style to it so i'm not asking it for for it to be like 90 minutes or you know faster paced shots i think it's too like it's it's the slow of slow movies right right (laughs) Like, if you had to say what's the slowest movie you ever watched, this is probably going to be pretty high on that list. And for, for me, me, like, Colin, would you agree with that, that it's the slowest movie you've ever watched? Uh, I don't know about the slowest ever, but it, it's definitely... Uh, this movie capitalizes and, slow. And this is where I was so excited yeah. to talk about this film as a podcast, is because this isn't even in the twenty top 20 slowest films I've ever seen. I even think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is slower than this film. It's not as long, but I think it's slower... But see, that, that, that's where it's different, is that that chunk of slowness that Portrait does is, like, much more digestible than Once Upon a Time is. That is a very respectable tape, take, tape, 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 tapeworm. I, 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 I'm thinking of Slug <laughs> Girl, tape, oh no. Tape, tape. No, but I, I think that's girl. a very respectable take, Caleb, because I think that's kind of a... Cause as Andy Sandberg said on Twitter, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is kind of becoming the next big like slow burn masterpiece everybody loves. And a lot yeah. of it has to do with it very much translate and intersects with like, the LGBT community and that style of cinema. And it's, you know, a foreign film that a lot of people are hopping onto. But I think it's kind of this idea of like, in one regard, once upon a time, a te- in the test, hi, hi, hi. Colin is right. Maybe I can't talk. Maybe I should take a vow to silence and just <laughs> let you guys run the podcast. <laughs> there you go but but still be present for the recording yeah <laughs> turn your mic on as if you'll speak but then just don't i'm just kidding jack we love your voice and we love your your many 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 verbal idiosyncrasies <laughs> we love you anyway can i talk about one thing about the slowness of this movie uh that i this is that i enjoyed Caleb's bit about being quiet but colin kept talking so it didn't work <laughs> <laughs> that's why i keep calling on board <laughs> so if funny. i ever run out of words he can help me now t- tell me tell go ahead Colin. Yeah. bring up a good discussion point 
and well, this moves into my my discussion question uh, right after it. So, the scene where it shows McBain and his kid—I don't remember the name of the kid—but the kid with the terrible bowl haircut. Uh, the older one or younger right? one? Mm-hmm. I guess the younger one, the one who he didn't yell at very angrily, dude. Yeah, he, he a dick. punches the crap out of Patrick. <laughs> Patrick took that punch like a man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Bro, it's insane. So that scene where the little boy and and McBain are hunting, okay, that scene is filmed and framed uh, in such a way that literally the entire time when he's like, all right, we got to get back up to the house, I was like, this kid's going to get attacked. Like, this kid is going to get ate by a bear or a mountain yeah, lion. I felt or like, that too. Like, I literally was like, this kid is dead. Like, not just dead, like super dead. Yep. Something is going to happen to this kid. But then, and and in that scene, it paid off. Like, with the big, like, that entire moment, I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? Oh, geez, they're all dead. Oh, oh God. Oh, he's going to kill him. That is where that really slow burn buildup paid off for something. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean when I say, I guess that's what I mean when I say I, you have to earn those slow shots. Because there was yeah. a huge payoff at the end of that scene. And so much of this movie, there is no payoff. Zero. None. Hmm. Which brings me to this other like problem I had with the movie. And that's with the like the acting. And again, I haven't seen enough westerns. So I probably am off with the inside baseball knowledge of how acting... Like what good acting in a western is, right? But like... Harmonica, okay? There are so many moments in this movie where I'm taken out of the action. I'm taken out of the film completely because, like, his whole thing is like, I'm going to play the harmonica instead of talking to people. When, like, <laughs> these the types of people he's dealing with would have just shot him. <laughs> like, and you know what I'm saying? Like, in, in that kind of cheesy acting or, like, the slap where, oh, who is it? Is it Frank who slaps somebody? Where yeah, like, yeah, I know you're talking about. It's so good. <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> that is horrible. That is laughably bad. We watched that probably eight times, Bree and Catherine and I did, <laughs> because it was so funny and so unexpected and bad. It was bad film. It was bad. That's the only way that I can possibly think about it. And we're supposed to take it seriously. Like, that's supposed to be serious. Dude, trash, terrible. That's where I completely disagree, because you say it's bad because the presentation doesn't fit the tone. I say it's good because it's funny. It's fun to watch. It's entertaining cinema. It's like you get these slow, drawn-out scenes, then all of a sudden you get the silly slap, and it's kind of like, I'm digging that. I like that. So I'm on the opposite fence of you here, Colin. (laughs) Oh, whatever, man. I, I, I I, I can't get on board. This movie, in every conceivable way, is is just like, oh, I, I can't. I can't like it. I can't. My body won't let me. <laughs> this is really interesting, Colin. I don't know if you read the review that I sent you right after I watched this. I was like, read this after you watch it. But in my mind, I was like, okay, this review sums up what I think, what I anticipate Colin saying. And I'm pretty sure like you've hit on most of the things that this review has said. I don't know if you've read it yet. But I haven't read it. Like so I'm curious what y'all think about this it. This is one of those Jake Gyllenhaal enemy scenarios where there's another Colin out there and he's going to take over Colin's yeah. life and hop on the podcast. Right. Oh. Uh-oh. 
What were some highlights from? Because this is kind of like you know, this is a canonized, legendary, iconic, much loved film. Were, were there any other bits? I know Kayla or Colin talked about how the build up to the McBain family death was pretty interesting and cool. Were there any other highlights from the film that you guys liked? So we've already talked about one of them. I think the train sequence where Cheyenne is taking out the guys under the train while he's walking on it, he uses his boot to to shoot the guy. That was a very creative scene. I love the way they did that. And then I also particularly liked like the the whole final duel together. I wasn't I know Jack like you really loved that scene. The part that I loved the most from that scene is the cut to when he like actually draws his gun. Oh my gosh, such a good cut. Like that was yeah. a really good cut. But like surrounding that scene, I think I enjoy more of that backstory that you get about Frank um, and Harmonica and how that's like you get that moment of catharsis um, when he puts the harmonica in his in Frank's mouth. Um, I thought that was a cool story, and they did they spent so little time on that. I was like, dang, that could have been its own movie. They really could have. Like, that was That's really true. interesting, and that kind of goes into like the introspective element of the film, at commenting yeah. on westerns. This idea of like, here is harmonica, and he's the revenge seeking protagonist. And right. Harmonica himself is kind of like a cheating device the narrative uses because Harmonica says things like, that's what Frank always does. That's his plan. Well, Harmonica, how do you know that? Are you going to explain that? Of course he does it. He just knows Frank's plan. And in the back of your mind, you might think, well, Harmonica's been studying, chasing Frank for years. Maybe that's how he knows. But the film never directly tells you. Leon is kind of, he understands that the character like harmonica which fun fact harmonica was originally supposed to be played by eastwood but eastwood got tired of the westerns and wanted to work on other films so they got charles bronson to do that and i love bronson i think Mm -hmm. he's phenomenal in this movie and in many ways from a narrative device harmonica is always kind of knows what the plan is he knows what frank's going on he knows where to go he knows who to talk to to get to where he's trying to go in but the film is never about the how it's more about the trying to understand the why of his vengeance. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. One, one Another thing is I, I can't decide if the way that the narrative of this movie plays out is something that I respect about the movie or something I Ooh, don't I like, like where you're going with this, Colin. Keep going. Keep going. This movie is told in such a way, shot and edited in such a way... Where multiple times in this movie, I was like, is this a flashback? I actually can't tell. Mm. Like, no, I agree with you. Absolutely. I, no I agree with you. Again, I, there are moments in this movie where I'll admit, I a thousand percent, I checked out. Played the Star Wars game. I was like, I'm mad at this movie. <laughs> nice. I don't want to, like, I'm, I'm mad at Jack. I'm mad at this <laughs> mad movie. This is so slow. <laughs> okay. So, like, that might contribute to why i didn't understand a few parts of the plot and i had to look up like a plot synopsis afterwards but even if i think i'd paid attention to every second of this movie i would have still had to really get a plot synopsis oh yeah and figure out okay who are these people how are they all related right i i felt that struggle too colin like there are multiple points i was like i don't remember what just happened like can can i get a summary please (laughs) like <laughs> yeah i can't tell you how many times on my notes i wrote down who the crap is yeah. this? <laughs> like who is that person yeah. why do i care about that person because like so many minor characters are introduced and then discarded oh yeah absolutely that's a big part of it so like the bartender 
So like you have to like you have to keep yeah. up. Like I will say the one character that helped me, like she was like the what what's her name? The the main woman? Jill. Jill. Yeah. Jill. Jill. She always kinda helped me get a sense, okay, if I just pay attention to what's happening with her, I can kinda get back right. on track with what's going on in the story. That's fair. That, that, yeah, that Jill makes is sense. kind of she's the main character if you really like drive down the yeah. narrative beats. Right. And oh man, the story is so feels all over the place. It I, I'm gonna go ahead and say that I don't. I think I take points away from it because it, it's just not presented in a way that makes sense to me. Oh man, and Harmonica was like, and and you don't discover the motivation of yeah. Harmonica until the very right. end, and it's just uh, up until and and he like weirdly uh, and. I watched it with Catherine and, and mm-hmm, Bree, mm-hmm. right? So two gir- two women. When it got to the part where he like ripped off all her clothes, they were like, "Is this guy the good guy?" And I was like, "I think so." Like, <laughs> but he's kind of not. Like that. But scene I don't know. Yeah. That I was confused by that too. And even like Cheyenne's treatment of Jill, like this is very much a film that wants you to understand that the men are definitely bad people. I mean, even Colin said mm-hmm. earlier with McBain before he's killed, like he's kind of a jerk dad, you know? Like this is very yeah. much a film where. No one here, maybe Morton, maybe the like railroad baron with polio or whatever disease he has. He he's not no, a good he's person definitely not, either. But he's probably the closest like, to like and actually like might be a good guy because he actually tries to compromises with Jill in regards to the land. I I guess. and that's the thing about the spaghetti western is they're very much films that were trying to capture the darkness and the undertones of kind of a more realistic dark spirit to westerns. It wasn't really about good guys, bad guys. It was about moral gray areas. And I would argue that's my biggest problem with the good, the bad, and the ugly is the title of the film does an awkward job of setting that up. Like, yeah, the bad character is the bad guy, and the good character is supposed to be the good guy. But I think in the good, bad, and the ugly, and this is kind of a side tangent, but the most interesting character morally is the character who's the ugly character, Tuco. I think he has the most fleshed out story in the whole movie, and for the film just to label him as the ugly seems kind of awkward. Whereas this film is very much like, okay, don't worry about good guys, don't worry about bad guys. None of these characters, except maybe Jill, are really like, you know, here with a good purpose. Dude, she's not there with a good purpose either. She's literally yeah, a and, gold and that's digger. True too. You, like, can, you can make that. Kanye would be reaching up there. Nobody in yeah. this movie has the moral high ground. No. I mean. Harmonica doesn't. Frank and Cheyenne certainly don't. Jill certainly doesn't. Nobody is like. There's no character in this film that I attach to or relate I'm to. I'm curious. In any capacity. I kind of want to revisit the Harmonica one. Because we don't get a lot of a story. Jack, based on what we get f- visually, how would you explain Harmonica's background to the listener? Right, right. And what I want to say about Harmonica is I feel very similar about Harmonica's character from a screenwriting perspective as I do about, and this is a very weird aside, callback to an old episode. I think what I like about Harmonica and what I like about Avengers Endgame can kind of intersect. Okay, please explain, because I have no idea. This is one of those Jack throws up a (laughs) random topic, and we're like, what? Yeah. So Avengers Endgame, we've established, doesn't really care about Thanos' motivation and philosophy. This kind of throws it all to the wind from Infinity War to Endgame. Harmonica is very similar to that as a narrative advice, is 
he is pursuing Frank out of vengeance. We know how these stories play out. We know the revenge motivation. We know that Harmonica wants to get his revenge, but we don't know why. We just know that he's doing it. We don't know how he's doing it because he just knows this information, and you can make assumptions like, oh, maybe he spent years studying Frank's moves and his men, but we know that Harmonica is going after his revenge. And for me, it's not necessarily a matter of the perspective of how he's doing it. It's the why. And there's one character who looks at Harmonica and says, why are you coming after me? And that's Frank. From Frank's perspective, Frank has killed so many men that he can't remember specifically how Harmonica connects to the men he's killed and how Harmonica's chasing him. He might remember some of the names Harmonica brings up before the silly slap slap, which I love and Colin doesn't. (laughs) That's what Colin gave me after he watched this film. (laughs) He's like, Jack. Freaking terrible. (laughs) Like... But anyways, for me, where I engage most with this film is for Harmonica, it's not about I want Frank to know who I am and why I'm coming for revenge. Harmonica is a stone, cold-blooded killer, just like Frank is. And a lot of where that character came from comes from his search for revenge. It's the classic theme of revenge turning you into you know, a cold, morally gray, even sometimes villainous person. And we do see villainy in Harmonica. I think his treatment of Jill in that farmhouse is really bad and questionable. It's not a good guy thing to do. And I think for people who love this film and they love the narrative, that's what they love about it, this idea that these two strong, cold forces are just coming at each other. And the filmmaking complements it too. You see it in their ice-cold stares and Fonda's blue eyes. It's really close up on their faces as they just look at each other. Harmonica looks emotionless. And that's where I love Bronson's performance in this movie, because for him, he set out his whole life to do this, to kill Frank. And here he is. No emotions. He's just going to do it. I suppose. I I, I just... I, oh, man. So many people would have killed... Oh, jeez. Oh, the acting is just so subdued while also being incredibly over the top and ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I agree. You see what I'm saying there? Oh, boy. This nutty, dude. Whoops. I just slapped my mic. You're good. You're good. It's nutty. I think for me, one thing I really love about this film is that final conversation Frank and Harmonica have. And actually, I, I didn't rewatch the film a third time, but I put the film back on to like write these um, lines down just because I found this to be really impactful where you know Frank knows that he and Harmonica are going to have to have the final duel. Mm-hmm. You know, after all the stuff with Morton and Morton's guys going after Frank and they kill him, Frank comes back to Harmonica. They're back at McMain's ranch. And of course, it's so epic. They're going to have the final duel in the backyard of the man whose whole journey started this adventure. It's amazing. And Frank just looks at Harmonica and Harmonica looks at him and he says, I want to hear your comments on this exchange of dialogue. He says, so you found out you're not a businessman after all. And Frank looks at him and says, just a man. An ancient race, other mortals will be along and they'll kill it off. The future doesn't matter to us. Nothing matters now. Not the land, not the money, not the woman. I came here to see you because now I know you'll tell me what you're after. And then it gets this really, really awesome close-up of the two actors. Harmonico delivers the final line, real close-up, and he says, Only at the point of dying. And Fonda looks at him and says, I know. And then they have their duel. Wow. For me, that's very poetic 
writing and filmmaking combined together. And then, of course, you have sure. Edio Morricone's score over it all, and that's the type of cinema I want to see. Kind of talking, commenting on these themes of, like, you know, a man's pursuit, a man's chase in the Wild West with beautiful cinematography, great editing, great visuals, and a phenomenal score. That's the type of film I want to see. Yeah. There is a line that happens when they're at the auction where he's coming, Harmonica's coming down the steps and Cheyenne, he's like introducing Cheyenne and he does the, I think it's Harmonica that says like, I can't remember which one says it, but he says something about like Judas paid like, you know, however, it was like $1,400, less or something. <laughs> yeah no you're right i forgot like about that. that that's a good point that's a really good like that that's the only time in the movie where i gave like an audible laugh to one of the comments that was made like it was a good like hysterical moment and i definitely think like you two have brought up the great point of there are definitely nuggets of gold in this film as far as quality goes but if you're not into the film's Absolutely. overall vibe you're not gonna gel with this movie yeah that's you couldn't put it any better yeah I do not gel with this movie, but I, I know for a fact there are tons of people that gel with this movie, mm-hmm. and I'm adding Jack. Oh yeah, put me at the top of that mountain. Put me at the top of that mountain. We're definitely getting close to the rating part of this discussion. I think we've all kind of said our piece on the film. Would we agree? Do you guys have any oh, final yeah. thoughts? Yeah, for sure. Agreed. For Any sure. highs, lows you want to talk about in regards to the movie? Don't be so slow, yeah. dude. Just freaking... Bro, these guys already the made story. the movie. They're all dead, Colin. What? They're not going to listen to this. <laughs> That's funny. Avid listeners uh, from Beyond the Grave. I definitely don't think Colin should watch First Cow or Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I don't think he'll like those films. No. Probably not. I will not. Sorry, Andy Samberg. I'm so glad I have friends who know me so well. No, and, and, and that was one thing I thought about is... Halfway through this movie, I thought, okay, I'm definitely picking a film under two hours because Colin's going to hate me after watching this for my next film I pick. (laughs) Yeah. And it's from the 90s, Colin, so that will be better, too, for you. Good. (laughs) I like the 90s. (laughs) It's it's a safe option. I'm glad we as a pod can come together and talk about one of the classics of cinema. And, And I just felt like you guys definitely had an interest in westerns, and this is one of my... I don't know if it's my favorite Western, but it's it's up there. It's definitely top three. So I definitely wanted to hear what you guys had to think about it. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about it. There's a, I feel like we, we did spend a lot more time talking about some of the discourse surrounding the film than the film itself to some, to some extent. But I think that's okay for a, a movie of this caliber. Right. This movie, it's so critically acclaimed that I feel like we have to talk about why it's critically acclaimed. Which is apparent, but I hate it. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Never rewatching. Like. Caleb, do you think you hate this movie, or do you think you're just like? Oh no, like I like I said it, but I don't get the hype. My impression is like, yeah, I like it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. I don't think it's like, you know, the world's you know top ten movies. But it's a it's a good watch if you're looking for a western that you're trying to. It's not a starter, for sure. I wouldn't recommend starting on this no. one. Like, I definitely want to no, explore no, other westerns no. to get a better sense of, okay, what is a what is the typical style for a, for a spaghetti western? Because I feel like this is the more advanced level of spaghetti westerns. Certainly. Very much yes. Yeah, I want to say one final thing about this movie, and then we'll go to ratings. 
Okay. And I think for me, this is fun as a podcast because this is the point where I'd get to distinguish what I like about films that you guys aren't as much interested in when it comes to filmmaking. So for me, I have a really close friend who I'll just refer to as Mr. G. We were talking, Mr. G and I <laughs> were talking. Him before. <laughs> yeah, I, he has been come up a few times. He's one of my closest film discussion buddies. But after the first time I watched this, I talked about how like I couldn't describe what was so good about it. I just knew I loved it, and I knew there was a certain vibe, atmosphere to the aesthetic that I really, really enjoyed. And he, like, you know, we were on the phone, so he didn't look at me and say this. But in, in a metaphorical way, he looked at me, and he just said, you know, this is probably the most zen western there ever is. And I really do feel like what I love so much about this film is the dreamlike quality of the events that happen in this film. And an example of this is perfect. Think about it. So you have Morton on the train. Cheyenne attacks the train. We never see Morton leave the train. But next time you see Morton, he's just at this random cliffside with Frank. And the same can be said for Jill all of a sudden just pops up in Frank's bed. You know, she wants to go talk to Frank. We yeah. never see her leave Sweetwater. She's just there in bed with Frank. And then let's not forget how Cheyenne gets on that train after he's arrested, and all of a sudden we just see the train wrecked and half the people yeah, are dead. That's a good point. There are some directors, there are some producers, filmmakers who would say, we need to make a big epic escape scene for Cheyenne. But this film is not about that. It's three hours. It could have gone for four. It could have had another big set piece. This film yeah. is more about making the viewer go, wait, what is happening in this film? Why are there all the stairs? Why am I having this feeling of watching something that's not like any other movie I've watched before? And I think that's what Mr. G refers to about the Zen quality. It's not about the how these events and sequences happen, but more of just the feeling you get from watching the yeah. cinematography, listening to the score, and seeing it all connected together. So I do have a rebuttal to that. So I see exactly what Mr. G is saying. Like I, I get that sense, that dreamlike experience. I will say, I think I would have really caught that and appreciated it more and actually enjoyed it a lot more if I had kind of entered that from the beginning. Like if from the beginning I had this sense of, oh, I'm about to enter the Zen dreamlike Western experience, like this once upon a time moment, like this story, I think I would have liked it a lot better. But because I didn't quite get into that, it didn't quite capture me that way, it didn't strike me as that while i was watching it would you agree with that colin i i would i'm, I'm trying to formulate a a more coherent response than what caleb just said and I'm, I'm not coming up with one it just it didn't it didn't feel i it, it just i didn't it was so i didn't like it that's the, that's the most eloquent thing i can say about it <laughs> yeah I, nothing could have been said to prepare me for this i don't think because if i'm going by what jack says is it's like other westerns but it's playing but it's not like other westerns like it's it's off just a little bit from those and i i just don't think anything could have prepared me for what i saw <laughs> There are so many breaks in reality, it seems like, or so many just, like y'all said, people just kind of appear places. Yeah, and absolutely. It's, yeah. Oh, it's not the mentality I go into when I expect a movie like this. This this felt like a fever dream. No, and, and see, I love that, Colin. <laughs> I want movies that feel like fever dreams. That's And that's why I'm so glad we discussed this on the pod, because 
what you don't want in a film is what I want in a film. And I think that makes for fascinating, fun conversations. That's true. That's a good that's a good way Fair of stating enough. it, Jack. This isn't necessarily me saying agree to disagree, but more of saying like, hey, this thing you hate, here's why I love it. And let's really dig down into why you hate it and why I love it. And I think that's fun. I think that's why film discourse that's is fair. cool. All right. Okay. Good for you, Jack. All right, Colin, would you... I'll, I I'll have it. you start us off as we, we rate this little film. Here it is, one of the biggest westerns of all time. Our first film we've talked about that's entered like the American classic film discourse. Bro, can I set up the ratings, or are you already got them? No, you can set up the ratings. Go for it, yeah. <gasps> I can? I've never got to set up the ratings <laughs> Yeah, go for it. Go for it, man. Dude, this is so much responsibility. I mean, if you have, I already have oh, some prepared. Gosh. So if you don't, you're you you need to think about this. But <laughs> oh man, no, I I, I think okay, I've got go it. for it. Go oh, for it. I I I've got it. <laughs> All right. So I'll start with Caleb. Caleb. All right. You're out in the desert. It's real hot. You know, there's not many people around. You get to this train station and you find yourself dealing with a fly that's clearly only attracted to your face because you've got honey smeared on it, right? <laughs> That's that's how they did it. That's how how they would have had to have done it. Beside the point. But you've got the honey smear on your face. But then all these other flies start coming. And I gotta ask you, how many flies do you think are gonna come to your face with honey on it? <laughs> it's a pretty obscure obscure rating system. I know I was not ready to but... do anything like that. <laughs> I'm also doing Colin's rating. I have one specifically for Colin. I almost forgot about. Okay, I love it. How many flies, Caleb? Where are the flies? I think that. Okay, I got. I got. Okay. Three and a half flies are going to come to my face. Three and a half flies land on your face? Yeah. That's a pretty good amount of flies. How did that fly only get a half, though? He That's shot half of it off. That's a good question. He pulled out his pistol or oh, you shot and I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of shooting, How? I've got Colin's rain right here. So, Colin, you're working hard. You're in film stu- you know, you're in the film studios, Hollywood. you got to work on your Apex movie. All of a sudden, there he is. You know, you're dressed up for a Western. He's dressed up for a Western. You're disgusted. It's our favorite actor, Mark Ruffalo. And look at what he's wearing. He's wearing a belt and five suspenders. Five suspenders with a belt. How many of those suspenders are you shooting off, Colin? If your favorite actor, Ruffalo. Bro, I'm going to shoot off two and a half of Mark Ruffalo's suspenders. But I'm going to use the remaining three and a half bullets in my gun to shoot his testicles once oh each. My God. And his dick Jeez. once. And then the last half bullet, I'm just going to throw at him yikes uh, i gotta be honest i i thought colin was gonna rate this lower i'm impressed colin not bad not bad the only reason the only reason i'm giving it a two and a half star is because i see why it's so highly respected <laughs> yeah it gets honestly for me it gets like a star and a half solely on merit and i hate this movie like i said at the top of the show this is the most beautiful film I've ever hated. So, and that that's that's my tagline. Hey, like. like I said about Destination Wedding, sometimes the two and a half star films bring up the best discussions. <laughs> I suppose. All right, Colin, so. you can do the rating for me. What's my rating? I can do the rate. Oh boy, I can do the rating for you. All right, Jack. Well, here we go. So, you know, you're hanging out on the top of a train like anybody course, normally does. It's a very slow-moving train, so you don't have to hold on to anything. You can kind of just sit and and stand there, and you don't got to do anything about it. But there are these 
five guys on the inside of the train that you got to sneakily take out in order to save your friend who you actually don't really like that much <laughs> named Colin, okay? But, you know, you're an exciting guy. You want you don't want to sneak kill all these people. That's boring video game stuff. We want to go in guns blazing. But you realize you can't take on all five of them without sneak killing some of them. So how many sneak kills are you going to do with those five guys? Dang, Colin. Before you go in with your guns what, blazing. What a presentation. Very nice, very nice. So when I first watched this film for the first time back in April, May, I remember thinking, okay, there are certain things I really love about this film, but it's not a five-star film. It's four and a half stars. And on this rewatch, I thought, because so much of my love for the film is how much I enjoy it more than Leon's other films, I thought, because of that context, definitely four and a half star film. But you know what? Now that I've talked about it more, I've realized, first time ever on this podcast, I'm taking all five of them oh, out. No. Five stars, oh, baby. Dang. Five wow. sneak five kills? Five sneak kills, yep. You coward. Here it is. Put it on record. <laughs> Jack's first five star. The film I picked. Dang. <laughs> oh, man. Of course you gave this movie. God. <laughs> I hate this movie. This, for me, is a five-star film. This is everything I want in a movie, and I want to see more stuff like it. I guess. Man, I, I can't like it. I just can't <laughs> get on board. I'm not a fan. But you know what, Jack? I'm glad that you are a fan. Hey, I, I promise you this, buddy. In three more episodes, when it's my turn to pick again, I promise I'm picking a film you'll like more. Like, I've already thought this out, and this is an easy one, like... I don't know if you'll love it as much as I love it, but I think I think you'll like it a lot more than <laughs> Once Upon a Time in the West. Thank goodness. All right, gentlemen. It's homework time, baby. Yes, I was hoping you'd had a homework assignment. I actually feel like this one's perfect for our discussion we had today. The homework assignment is talking about our watch list we have. And the reason I want to bring this up is because we're kind of at that point where we've covered big films, you know, we've covered Taika Waititi's filmography, we've covered Avengers movies, we've talked about Wes Anderson, so I really think as a podcast we need to look forward with what type of films do we want to engage with. So my homework assignment is, what are the types of films that grab your interest when it comes to creating your watch list? What are the themes, story details, directors, mm. actors, writers, cinematographers, what are the things that make you go, I want to watch that film, and I want to talk about that film with my bros? That's a really mm. good question. So something to think about that for when we reconvene question. in a few weeks. You're going to make me scroll oh. through my really long watch list on Letterboxd. <laughs> well, and it's specifically for right? the podcast. It doesn't necessarily yeah, have yeah. to be like in general, because that, that that's a big topic. That can be a whole episode yeah. of its own. Now, speaking of next episode, Colin, it is your time time to pick your turn time. What? What am I saying? <gasps> to pick the film. Do you want to introduce the film we'll be watching for the next episode? Boy, do I. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, you got to listen up to this little story I'm going to tell you. So recently it came out in uh, popular news about our favorite celebrities via a uh, specific interview oh no. Oh no. with <laughs> Will Smith and uh, his wife, uh, where essentially I didn't watch the thing. I've only read what people say about it, but I think she cheated on him, but he knew about it, so he was okay with it. Something like that, right? <laughs> what? And that got me inspired. I was like, you know what? Will Smith doesn't deserve all this. He, he seems like, you know, all these 
weirdos are like, oh, Will Smith, he's so great, and Jada, she's the evil one, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? We're going to take him down a peg a little bit. We're going to watch <laughs> what everyone knows is his best movie, Bright. From 2017. Well, from 2017. Best movie? We're talking about political unrest. We're talking about all these types wow. of things right now. And let's talk about how this movie got all of that subtext. Oh, right. no. <laughs> <laughs> and how it's uh, actually a perfect Wait, film. have you seen no. it, Colin? Oh, I have not. Oh. <laughs> Here's the real... <laughs> oh, am I going to be surprised? Is it not a perfect film? I think oh, it's supposed to be no. a perfect film. I've heard nothing but praise for this. <laughs> I've heard Exactly. I've heard nothing but great things about this movie. When has Netflix ever gone wrong? Let's let's. I'm gonna go put on yeah, Kissing Booth right. two now. Let's go. <laughs> Look, dude. I'm just saying. Like we review generally good films on this podcast. Films that receive acclaim and you know are are solid, solid films. We we need we need. That's too much work. We need to shoot some fish in barrels, okay? And this is the barrel, and this is the fish. So let's. Get to shooting, boys. Man, it is going to be so freaking awkward if I watch this movie and go, wait, is this better than Lawless? Ooh, no, I'm just kidding. I, yeah, I don't think that will happen. But that would be wild. <laughs> that, that would ruin Colin's year. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, if you did that, I think I'd kill you. <laughs> I just love how our podcast is going to be like, okay, they covered Candyman, then they covered Once Upon a Time in the West, and then they covered Bright. <laughs> what a good contrast. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Hey. There's a little something for everybody. Exactly. There you go. There you That's go. That's true. Well, there we is. look forward to having you join us next time when we cover Bright. Thank you so much for listening to Yelling at the Screen. I'm Jack. And that's it. That's just Jack. <laughs> that's it. That's just Jack. Yeah. I'm, I'm Colin. I'm Caleb. Actually, I'm not Colin. I'm going to taco bueno after this you are mark ruffalo in disguise i am mark ruffalo <laughs> presenting yelling that's at the it screen, log off boys baby. have a bueno day everybody <laughs> have a bueno day <laughs> what's your name this is dead too calm down there it comes. You are no better than anyone. There it is. <laughs> <laughs>